Working with a true expert is an experience unlike any other, knowing they have the knowledge, experience, adaptability, and judgment to serve you and those you love is something special. As a trusted guide through the most important times in my clients' lives, I have realized that these experts are all around us and I want to know more. I'm Brandon Ayers and I've searched near and far for the people I consider to be experts in their field, interest, or hobby. As it turns out, they're just like us. I've invited one of them here today to join me as we take a deep dive into what places them among the true, everyday experts. Welcome back to Everyday Experts with Brandon Ayers. I am Brandon Ayers, uh, and I thank you for tuning in this episode. I'm really excited to our guests here today. It's going to be a really interesting episode, I think. Uh, you know, and uh, with my uh, law firm, Legacy and Life Law Firm, you know, I like to position myself as that trusted guide for most of my clients' important times of their lives. Um, and one of the ways I really try and measure myself is by when I have a client call in for something they know I don't do, asking for my advice. And if I ever have an opportunity to refer a client to our guest today, it will definitely be in that category. Because with me today is Matt Dingledine, a professional gardener owning Oak Grove Gardeners. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for getting out here and being a guest. Um, and you've owned that since, I know you've owned it since 2009, right? But it's a family business, right? It is. Yeah, yeah. I'm the second generation. Second generation. All right. Um, so, uh, but thank you for coming in. Uh, one of the ways I like to get started here is just a segment I call like, got a second. So, you know, knock on your door. And I know we've talked before about live music and, you know, getting out there and enjoying life that way. So I thought I'd ask you, for me, I kind of have a, a bit of a, a theater background. When it, so whenever I'm going to an indoor, outdoor place, choosing where to sit, you know, is going back to my days of running boards and mics and setting lights and all that kind of stuff. But where did, do you have a place to sit? Like, what's your thing when you go to, like, a concert or something like that? Oh, what, man. What's, what's your, like, thing you want to get? So first, thank you for having me today. Oh, Brandon. yeah. This is quite an adventure. This is a really beautiful place. I can yeah. only imagine what it must be like coming to work here every day. Yeah. Um, but it's really great to talk with you. I have several different answers for this question. Okay. And it depends on the type of music. I was fortunate to travel to New York City over New Year's Eve, and I got to see my favorite band play at Madison Square Garden, as is their New Year's Eve tradition. Mm -hmm. I saw fish. Okay. And there's really no bad seat for an indoor fish show. Mm -hmm. They've got the sound dialed in. But if it is summertime, summer tour, June, the boys are coming through town, there's really no better place to take in that show than up on the rail. Oh, okay. Right in front of the stage. Really? Okay. Yes. It is just makes it a completely different experience. And if you can swing it, I would highly recommend it to anybody that has the opportunity. But if I'm taking in something like a symphony performance yeah. or a jazz performance, uh, years ago I had a friend that was the house manager at North Central College, and he got me the seat in the exact center of Wentz Concert Hall to see the Branford Marsalis Trio. And that was a very affirming experience. And yeah. he said, like, this was the seat that the architect had in mind when he designed the hall. Yeah. And I'll never forget it. Yeah, it's kind of funny, like, when you get to the halls, you know, the, the audio side of it, you know, obviously is very intentionally handled. Um, I had a friend who was much more into that than I was. He taught me the general rule of thumb, I think, is half the width of the stage. If you sit that far back. Okay. You'll be kind of where all the speakers and everything. And it's usually right where the audio 
booth is if you're at a concert. Yeah. It's usually where the audio guys are going to sit. So that's always kind of always try and measure if I'm going to something where the sound quality well, I want to be pristine is pick my seat like halfway yes. uh, of the width of the theater, make a little T that way. I saw the American Brass Quintet at DePaul University last fall, okay. and I sat in the back of the hall, and the sound was really thin. It was not mm. very warm, yeah. and it, it really does really shape the experience. Yeah, it does. Um, I remember I saw a show, a theater show, at the uh, Shakespeare Theater on Navy Pier, and that they actually warned us. We were in school going. They said, like, don't chew gum because, like, the audio in here is so good. Like, the <laughs> actors will hear you chewing gum from way in the back. And that's, like, if I could ever see, like, a little, like, I don't know, a, a cello quartet or something in that kind of small what a setting. venue, that would be really incredible. special. Incredible. Yeah. But anyway, we didn't come here to talk about audio and concerts anyway. I want to talk about your <laughs> business because when we first met, uh, Matt and I first met at a uh, networking event. And we're at a table of about six pe- it was six people. And um, there was one person in between us. Uh, so there was somebody on my right and left, and then Matt, and then two other people. And they were the people on either side of me were having a conversation. We haven't talked about this. It's going to be news to you. They're having a conversation. <laughs> but I heard you start talking about your business. And I knew it would be rude just to kind of, you know, talk across this conversation. <laughs> yes. So I kind of sat there and was, you know, doing the things. But I, I was, like, literally just listening to your conversation, waiting for there to end so I could jump in and be like, oh, what the heck is this going on? So Matt owns Oak Grove Gardeners, but it's, a, I would say, a pretty uh, unique position in, in the world of gardening and all that. Is, uh, and that's the first thing I want to talk about. Um, tell us, you know, what all you say and describe it, what, what makes your – business a little different operating when people drive by your your operation so in relatively recent history i would have to say that though our attention to detail always stands out Mm -hmm. and our quality of client often stands out we recently added autonomous mowing or robotic mowing to our operation that's pretty crazy so uh, obviously um that's a decision. That's not something that happens on accident, right? It was so, very intentional. Yeah, yes. yeah. So, um, um, so t- tell me a little bit more. You know, how did you find them? I know we talked. You know, did you go to trade show and like just see it at the booth, or you know, what made you shift that model? Because a business owner, that's there's a lot going on there other than just being robots are kind of cool. So, an ongoing conversation in recent history in business has been about industries across the board having a challenging time finding frontline labor. Mm -hmm. And ours is no exception. You can probably corral any landscape contractor, ask him if he's looking for additional help, and across the board they will say, yeah, I could use anywhere from, you know, two to 20 guys, depending on the size of the company. Mm -hmm. And we've gone through a lot of changes in the last few years. A fair amount of turnover But mostly for good reasons, guys moving up, moving on, and having only appreciation and gratitude for the time they spent with us. But it still did kind of leave us in the lurch. And for years, I would walk by the Husqvarna booth at our trade show, and I would see the little mowers puttering around. And I would never really think twice about it. Kind of, you know, those are cute. And then we would always turn our attention to the wide area mowers, the yellow ones, the red ones, the green ones, the orange ones, like the, mm. the brands everybody recognizes. Yeah. But last year, 2022, I'm walking the trade show floor, taking my time, 
It's an incredible networking event, seeing friends that we really only get to see a couple times a year. And I'm really suddenly around the corner and I'm just transfixed by the Husqvarna Automar setup. And I stop and I watch them and I ask a few questions and grab some literature and then move on. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, Husqvarna also makes a very meaningful uh, battery-operated line of power equipment, so I asked some questions about those and, and look forward to talking with you about that too. Yeah. But I moved on and I reached out to my local power equipment dealer and I said, I am interested in robotic mowers. Do you have any in stock? Do you have anybody on staff that can teach me more about them? And the short answer was no. Mm-hmm. They were a dealer, right. but they just referred us to a company in Woodstock okay. called Automated Outdoor Solutions that is, I, I feel the preeminent dealer of uh, autonomous mowers, but Husqvarna in particular. Okay. And so I went to visit them, I think at the beginning of March, and it went pretty fast from there. I was really impressed and inspired by seeing the displays, by seeing everything they had set up, by learning more about the technology. And I reached out to five clients of mine that I thought would be a good fit for the operation. Mm -hmm. And none of them thought about it very much. Mm -hmm. They were really intrigued by the idea, especially one, a a technology company based in Naperville. They were the most enthusiastic. Mm, And we rewrote the contracts, ordered the equipment. We were very generously financed through our local bank and we were off to the races. That's, that's awesome. So, um, and I want to talk a little bit about the operation, you know, side of it, because, uh, you know, when I think of, especially on the corporate side of things, you know, the, the gardening, the mowing, the just the maintaining the grounds, you know, you drive past, you see truck stopped, trailer open, and a couple dudes on the back standing around doing their loops and, and the guy with a weed whacker do, doing the trim work. That's what I see. So how does the operation work from, you know, so you, you talk to these clients and they say, okay, so I, I assume you just don't show up with the trailer and just let the mowers go, right? <laughs> There's probably some, some lead up into that. How does that all how that work? So before we get too far away yeah. from it, there is an opportunity now for a stop and go Oh, robotic really? mowing service. Okay. The technology is, is evolving as quickly as any other meaningful technological segment. Okay. We chose our five clients, four residential clients, one commercial, and we, for this first trial, I determined it would be best if we absorbed the investment of installation. We had the dealer install them, they trained us on the installation process throughout. We didn't want anything to go sideways right. for these first five. Yep. And they did a spectacular job. They were excellent teachers. They were very helpful in demonstrating their equipment, the shortcomings therein, the hacks that were really important for getting the installations done in a timely but productive way. And starting... I think they went in. We had to mow them conventionally for a few weeks until mm-hmm. their schedule caught up. Yeah. But by the middle of May, all five units were live. Oh, cool. I, I want to put a, a pin in something that you just talked about and expand on it. Because um, any business owner, regardless of what they're in, you know, the choice to say, hey, we're going to absorb this cost because we want to grow. 
but we, we're not going to put all the risk on the client side, of, you know, because you know there's going to be hiccups. You know a new system, just like dancing with a new dance, you know, there's going to be toes stepped yes. on. There's going to, it's just going to happen. Yes. So that expectation setting is important. And then also the insulation that you give them anyway of, of hey, you don't have to go through all this cost. Yep. It makes them kind of more excited about it because they see, um, yeah, hey, we're the guinea pigs and we can expect the things that can happen with the guinea pig stage. Yep. But but they're actually taking responsibility for it too. They're not just trying to, this isn't a neat new thing you saw at a trade show and you're like, hey, my revenue is going up because of this. It was something you honestly wanted to figure out and try. And, uh, and from there, um, we're able to, I think that's really an interesting mindset that I think, like probably a lot of business owners probably wouldn't be able to even get to that stage of, uh, well, I can do this, but you have to be willing to pay for X, Y, and Z. And then they just, it's all the onus is on the client. So with that in mind, and, and thinking about the traditional model that you described, mm-hmm. which I will meaningfully address before we move on, the we have plenty of that work where truck and trailer pulls up, yeah. guys get out, drop the door, drive the mowers out, make the pretty little lines, and then clean up, go on their way. Yeah. And thinking about that, and I was like, how, how can we do this differently? Mm-hmm. And in that, how can we do this better? I have the most brutal tinnitus. Okay. All, at all times. Yeah. I can hear it right now okay. in this nice, quiet studio. And I think it is probably from an exposure to a lifetime of power equipment or a lifetime of exposure to yeah. power equipment. Yeah. And I wanted to create selfishly an aesthetic experience for myself and my team that is a little kinder to the frontline worker. Mm-hmm. And the robots live on site. So they have a dock, they work for a few hours, they charge, they work for a few hours, they charge. And we still show up on a weekly basis. And we take care of everything that the robots can't do. Mm-hmm. So that is that is the most meaningful change to the operation. Um, as far as taking the steps as a business owner and operator Mm -hmm. to arrive at this juncture after a very challenging few years in business and therefore personally, you know, we, we have all lived through this very meaningful global health catastrophe for a few years that appears to still be ongoing at some meaningful level. And at the beginning of 2022, I just wanted to do something that felt fun. (laughs) Okay. That's really what it came down to. I, I am a gardener first in my heart, in my mind, and maybe a distant second, I'm a businessman. Mm -hmm. And that has a lot of benefits and a lot of detractions. Right, right, yeah. But the benefits, I think, far outweigh the other. And when I went through all these relationships at the trade show, to the dealers, to the bank, I brought this sense of earnest positive energy and enthusiasm and excitement about the project and I was really met with that in return that's what I took to my clients you know and the the clients like one is the president of a chain or a charter of a regional bank one is a technology company two are golfers one is a hippie Mm -hmm. so hey we can mow your robot or we can mow your lawn with a robot that'll cut it every day and make it look like a golf course We can mow your lawn with a robot that is quiet and only uses about 30 kilowatt hours a month of electricity. We can mow your lawn with the highest 
technology available in this market segment. And we can, you know, mow your lawn with a product that is innovative and exciting that yeah. will impress your many guests that yeah, come yeah. to your house. Yeah. So there is something for everybody. Mm-hmm. And that earnest energy was just repaid back to us by everybody involved. Yeah, I've always kind of found that, and I think it's actually, a, I don't know what you'd call it, a sales technique or a therapy technique, but basically <laughs> I've heard over and over, it's probably both, um, you know, the energy you put out is the energy you generally get back, right? Of course. So if you want somebody yeah. to get angry, you know, act angry. And they'll, you know, if you're using it like in a negotiation tactic, but then again, if somebody's making you angry, you have to kind of think, okay, is this what they're trying to get? So it's kind of yes. a cynical turn on it. But yes. then on the positive side, you know, if you stay out there and you bring honest, authentic, authenticity, energy to something, I think people get excited about that. And then from a business owner, I'd have to imagine that makes the relationship deeper, more meaningful. And so when mistakes do happen with whatever it is that's just bound to happen in life, there's a deeper relationship bank to draw on yes. that, that things don't fall apart. I agree. Yeah. And yeah, I think that was the whole premise of The Secret. Do you remember The Secret? Yeah, okay. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the movie and yeah, the yeah, book, book and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Just like, yeah. And it's just first, it's first grade stuff, right? Yeah, like yeah. treat people like you want to be treated, right. be kind. Like, yeah. And it, it's, it's always humbling when we find ourselves or find other people around us that need to be reminded of that. Yeah. But it doesn't make it any less meaningful right. or important. And for me, I mean, it's easy to get cynical, right? Especially if you look back the last oh, three yeah. years, it's easy to see the world for a cold, cynical, dark place. Yes. Um, so it's hard to say, hey, if I just keep doing the right thing, keep bringing the right energy, I'll get repaid for it. Yes. But I, th- I, think, I think it's still true, even yep. though it's not all roses and gumdrops and we're not skipping and whistling every, <laughs> everywhere we go. No. But, uh, but generally, you know, that kind of thing works out in the, in the end. Yeah, and with the shortcomings we did have, to your point, um, the robots would, you know, I, it, so one of the best parts of the technology is the ability to operate them remotely. Mm-hmm. And I am able to control them from my phone. I can see where they are on a map. And the GPS is really good. It's good within a few feet. Mm-hmm. But when they go awry, I get a notification. And I remember like a Sunday in like late May or early June mm-hmm. notification, client's automower is out of mowing area, I think is the notification that okay. comes, which is like the first one I ever got. So like my heart skipped a little bit. And I was like, what do you mean out of mowing area? And I'm looking at the map and I can see it right there in the front yard. And uh, it just turned too close to the curb. Oh, okay. And it just slipped off the curb. I just had to pick it up and put it back in the yard. So, you know, the the clients like that level of attention. So when I can reach out to them and say, hey, I noticed a problem with your lawnmower. I'm going to come by and take a look. And then I do a lap while I'm there, notice other things, yep. maybe see them. Maybe they're out by the pool, say hello. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a... I think if I describe them as Pixar movie characters... Okay. But they're very charming little yeah. little okay. objects. Yeah. Like they kind of putter around the corner and yeah. always have to resist the urge to say hello to them because yeah, they're yeah. never going to say it back. But it's it's a very, very meaningful experience hey, in all. Have you put googly eyes on any of them? Not yet. Okay. No. <laughs> right after big we, important questions. Right after we talked, I w- somebody suggested that. And then one of my friends was like, have you seen everything everywhere all at once? And I was oh, like, is that what that's from? no. And he's like, well, when you do, you'll get the googly eyes thing. Oh, okay. I've never and seen I, that. Yeah. Okay, you should. And then okay. you'll get the googly eyes thing. But um, Mackenzie Kuhn, who sat with us that day, 
at lunch yeah, yeah, where yeah. we met yep. asked me if I had yet put Google oh, okay. Voice on him. Okay. And uh, that's that's in the works. Okay. We'll, we'll get him on there. Okay. That'd be great. What was he describing? Kind of looks like the minions or something. You paint him yellow, get the one big thing and like <laughs> put like whatever it is. But uh, yeah, no, I, but that's really interesting, I think. Um, but but I know when we first met and talked about the, the robotic mowers, and obviously there's a lot of details, a lot of interesting things, but it's not the end all thing. You know, you mentioned... Uh, people still show up. You mentioned there's still other equipment that you need. And one thing, you, you talked about the electric other equipment, which, of course, is another choice to make, right, mm-hmm. um, versus the gas-powered. I know um, I imagine there's um, unease about batteries and charging and, you know, losing and having everything dead and not having mm-hmm. losing a work day or whatever it is and re- on a, some inefficiency there. But, uh, you know, tell me more about, you know, choice to go electric on, on those on that equipment too so um, before we get too far away from yeah, the robots okay. I do need to, to acknowledge that as a tool they are extremely powerful so the unit itself when I describe them to people initially mm-hmm. almost universally the first reaction is oh it's like a Roomba and I'm like yeah if your Roomba had GPS if your Roomba had a, a built-in cellular modem yeah. so you could send it commands, program its schedule, set its cutting height, uh, send it home, send it back to charge, uh, you know, oh, the sprinklers are on, please send it back to the dock, okay, no problem. They're very technologically advanced. It's like a Roomba with an iPhone attached. Okay, like, yeah. And they, in and of themselves, in the right hands, are they made the five properties we had them on look better than any time I've ever put a human on them to mow them. Okay. It, it's really amazing. And that's not a knock on humans, of no. course, and we'll get to that later. Yeah. But um, They came after we switched to electric small equipment. Okay. So electric small equipment, electric landscape equipment in general has really come a long way in the last five years. Okay. Battery technology, you see it everywhere. You see it in a car, right? We all know and we all lust after a Tesla every time it drives by. Uh, Rivian, uh, Polaris, Lucid, all these really cool tech companies doing great things with electric cars. And, of course, General Motors also and Ford catching up. Um, But batteries are in everything. Mm -hmm. They're like these microphones are probably powered. Maybe they've got a battery in them. Our phones have batteries. Um, but the batteries are getting lighter, they're getting smaller, and they're getting more power. So when we started in 2019, I was exceedingly fortunate to have been involved in an existing familial relationship that allowed me to adopt electric power equipment. Uh, my cousin is married to a member of the product development team at Chervon North America, oh. which is the owner of Ego, the Ego brand. Okay. And Ego is a very familiar line of outdoor power equipment to most homeowners. And Memorial Day weekend, after Memorial Day weekend 2019, Conrad and his team came to my shop with a van full of equipment, oh. leaf blowers, line trimmers, uh, push mowers, and we took all of our two-stroke equipment out of our trailer that day. Really? Okay. And it really, we had a lot of hiccups at the beginning. You addressed the uh, range anxiety, I think is what electric vehicle owners call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
we really went through the ringer at okay. first because coming up with a charging solution was very challenging. Um, we, I also feel it important to acknowledge what an advantage that that gave me and gives me to this day in that working relationship. Um, in my working maintenance trailer, the same trailer that you would see getting pulled down the road by any number of landscape maintenance contractors is approximately $14,000 worth of batteries alone. Mm. And we touch almost every single one during the week. Wow. And that's from the, the largest we have is a 10 amp hour battery, which is not their highest capacity battery anymore, but it offers a great deal of power and longevity all the way down to a five amp hour battery, which is very lightweight and very good for something like a line trimmer or a stick edger or a quick uh, handheld leaf blower work. Mm -hmm. The five amp hour batteries are great. But um, we were fortunate also to have had a custom mobile charging solution developed for us by an ego engineer. Oh, wow. And so we charge that nightly. Mm -hmm. And then we use that to run two ego superchargers during the day. And that's what charges our batteries during the workday. Okay. So in the springtime, when we're line trimming a lot, using a lot of battery power, we'll run that battery down during the workday. Same ditto in the fall. Mm -hmm. Blowing a lot of leaves, doing a lot of extra work, we'll run the battery down in the fall. But having the access to technology, equipment, uh, technical support, and batteries that we do, it's been a really interesting experience that I feel very privileged to have had, but also feel very emboldened in the uh, capabilities of the technology. Yeah, no, that's 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 really interesting because I always I've kind of gone down a few YouTube rabbit holes in my day, and the construction and and the rigging of these trailers is is always really interesting for all sorts of kind of contractors because mm -hmm. very industry specific. And from you side, I've never had to put my money and business on the line of it, but you really are forced to prioritize, you know, what's important, what's not important. You know, from this bottom line, from getting things done, from an efficiency standpoint. So I've always imagined, you know, if you're going electric on these, you know, for uh, all these batteries, there's got to be a way, you know, you got the batteries all on the wall or whatever it is, and then you can have something that charge them and you just plug them all in at night and they go mm -hmm. overnight. But to have that, it sounds like, um, and you, I think you were fortunate to have that uh, ego team help you rig that together and not have to do your own, uh, you know, cutting plywood with a with a jigsaw or whatever it is to make them fit <laughs> and then figuring out it's, you didn't have things in the right spot. And it's funny it you would say that because we did have to do some of that. Okay. So uh, 2019, 2020, 2021, we really kind of cobbled together our charging solutions, mm -hmm. lots of extension cords, lots of power strips, kind of a pain at the end of the day that we just kind of grew to tolerate. Okay. And then at the beginning of 2022, with the nice weather that we had at the tail end of the winter into the beginning of the spring, uh, we took our entire maintenance trailer apart, blew it out, and built shelves, racks, um, set up a really meaningful, made a really meaningful attempt at setting up a really workflow efficient charging solution. And the guys had no problems with it all year. Right. And we can charge it off of 110. So it's not mm. like we have any kind of special outlet. We don't have an RV hookup. We don't have anything that is really not accessible to the layperson. Mm -hmm. um, besides, like the the custom charging unit, um, 
which was built with mostly off-the-shelf parts. Yeah. Uh, actually, entirely off-the-shelf parts, just oh. with, by someone who really knew what they were doing. Yeah, put them in the right spot. Right and um, that portion of the project has been really exciting for us because working with Corey is the engineer that, that does a lot of troubleshooting for us. Working with Conrad, product development team, and, and Mike and the rest of the guys, um, we get to field test commercially available equipment. So we've done a lot of abuse testing on mm. a lot of equipment that is available on the market. But um, one really nice thing that we've been able to do, and I say really nice in the sense that it's given our experience a lot of value. We've field tested a lot of the prototype and pre-production equipment as well. So we're like testing 3D printed leaf blowers, like stuff that's come right out mm -hmm. of a factory. We're testing, uh, you know, we did the finish testing, some of the finish testing on the Ego Z6, which was the uh, rotting mower that came out, I think, in 2020. Okay. Um, and that culminated with uh, a few of the engineers coming all the way from China to visit in the fall. They didn't come to see us in particular, but it was so good to meet them. They spent the day with us, like they had their phones out, mm -hmm. they were watching our workflow. And um, it's just been a really interesting experience that not and I know for a fact not many landscape contractors are getting to have. Right. Like I, I'm getting frontline access to an international company that is making some very innovative equipment. It's really neat. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, and just we you know talked about general mindset and everything. It, what what you you're saying is striking because when you're working with those people at that kind of level of relationship especially on the abuse testing side, problems, issues are now a source of excitement mm -hmm. and innovation <laughs> yes. rather than a source of headaches. You yes. know, you don't have to call the sales rep and say, hey, this thing broke again, and hear him sigh and trying to think of, okay, is there a warranty or not? Do I, what, is this my problem or right. is this his problem? It's really, hey, engineer, you know how we're, you're tweaking that? It didn't work. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and they're like, oh, okay. Let's and it is our problem. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. Yeah. You know, whenever, uh, tongue in cheek, um, Conrad is a very dry kind of sardonic sense of humor sometimes. Mm -hmm. And like, I think I used the right word. I might've okay. meant sarcastic, but okay. um, he gives us stuff and he says, okay, go break it. Yeah. And we do. Yeah. It's great. Like when we were doing the testing on the Z6, like it was having a hard time in the cold. Hey, mower is not working. Yeah. Oh, what's the air temperature? Like, and it's just a fun, it's a collaborative effort that doesn't, always exist in my business. Like it's very much, the corporate ladder is very short at mm -hmm. Oak Grove Gardeners. And so having that kind of outside influence, um, has just been really fun, really motivating, uh, really exciting. It's really cool. And guys, when we first started with it, people were noticing, like we would see guys kind of stare when they drove by, um, the day in 2019 when the, when the uh, North American engineering and product development team, they were following my guys around with stopwatches. <laughs> and while they were, while we were still using some of the gas equipment to measure trigger time. Okay. So trigger time at full throttle. Oh, okay. To kind of start comparing uh, live battery use to comparable two stroke engine use. And there was a one, we stopped at one house and there was another crew working and they were yelling in Spanish, like, Hey, tell those guys to go, you know, 
go mind their own business yeah. in a less eloquent way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm it was sure. really funny, and like our Spanish speaking guy to go over and tell them what they were doing, and they were like, "Oh, that's really cool." Yeah. So, it's been really fun. Well, that's why I imagine that had to be quite a picture of, you know, in my mind, and I know this. I mean, correct me, but uh, to my mind, you know, they're they're engineers, right? They're wearing the white lab coats with their little thing, and <laughs> you know, walking behind these people, <laughs> people mowing laws. But either way, just seeing just that picture anyway. It's what the uh, ego commercials look like. It's a bunch of yeah, people in like white coats and yeah, some yeah. like high tech environment, but yeah. that. Fortunately, that those were not the people who were following our okay. guys around oh. that day. Well, they can wear white coats if they want to. <laughs> but uh, but you mentioned you guys and your team. I imagine, uh, well, just like anything else, the shift is a change, which you kind of see personalities. You know, some people see change as like a problem, or some people see it as a solution. Um, but I'm sure as a business owner, when it comes to your team and your employees and your labor force, you have a sense of responsibility, of ownership, of, of care. Um, and I'm sure there's... Um, benefits to them and uh, probably even detriments to them uh, on this shift. So t- talk to me about, you know, your labor force and how you've managed that and what, you're, what, you, what you look like when that, you know, when things come up or is, uh, how you see taking care of people. So uh, landscaping, lawn maintenance, gardening, and affiliated trades mm-hmm. are extremely difficult work, as are most physical trades, right? Mm -hmm. You're out in all conditions. You are out despite how you feel. And in these moments, I always feel obligated to hedge and say, oh, but everybody works hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people are working hard. Lawyers working hard. Bankers working hard. Salespeople working hard. Managers, directors, everybody's working hard. But we are working so much harder. <laughs> and, and I say that with pride. I mean, yeah. um, and a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But the work is hard enough. And earlier in the conversation, I, I acknowledged what a challenge it is to find help. <coughs> and whenever I have this conversation, frequently it turns pretty quickly to, what? What do people say when you say you're having a hard time finding help? Oh, nobody wants to work anymore. Nobody wants to work anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back in my day, I would have killed for a job like that. <laughs> so I actually, one of my one of my favorite Twitter followers, and I forget the handle, but I think he's a college football guy. I'm a college football fan. He had like a, on this, he, he went and screenshotted different newspaper articles. Like basically every decade going back to like 1880, <laughs> okay. there was some editorial about how nobody wants to work anymore. Yes. You know, so it's just this trope that's been around forever. Yes. But yeah, go, yeah, go on. And it's not, it's not like really, well, it is probably. I'm going to say, I'm going to hedge this a little bit, but um, it's not like totally society's fault. Like no educational system failed people because nobody wants to go mow a lawn. Right or work in any other kind of customer-facing or frontline service business, the work is hard. Mm -hmm. And it's the work's problem. It's the work's fault. It's not always fun to be out there on a wheelbarrow, to be out there on a shovel, to be out there on a rake, to be out there on a lawnmower. Like it, the more equipment you bring in, you know, the experience levels up a little bit. But First, you know, acknowledging that work isn't always fun, right? That's why we call it work. Despite, you know, people like my dad who will say things like, I don't go to work, I go to fun. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> 71-year-old boy. Yeah, yeah. Guy, just, I, I, I admire him for being able to maintain that perspective. But 
it's our responsibility. And when I say our, I'm referring to the community of labor business owners or operators mm-hmm. to make the work as easy as possible for the people that are generating our revenue. Mm-hmm. Business culture has crept into every business, right? Layers and layers of management. But what are we, what do we do? We pull weeds and cut grass. That's mm-hmm. the work. You know, uh, you, you build patios and plant trees. You, you grade sites and you pour concrete. Like, yeah, you can put on a polo shirt and an Arcteryx vest, but, like, what what mm-hmm. are you? Yeah. You're a concrete guy. You're a landscaper. And that's not a diss. That, there's absolutely no disrespect in that. Mm-hmm. But it it's, should be a little more humbling to be able to acknowledge that. Like, yes, companies can grow. Guys can move up. Guys can make a lot of money. I think that is all fantastic. I love seeing success stories in my industry. But does it matter if you Kaizen your office, if your guys feel like shit out in the field? Yeah. No. You know, they're still going to suffer, and they're going to be out there on hot days. They're going to get heat stroke. They're going to strain their backs. Why wouldn't I do something like invest in a lawn mowing robot or invest in a relationship with a cordless outdoor power equipment manufacturer to make the workday easier for the guys that work for me, for the guys that pay my mortgage, for the guys that pay my gas bill, for the guys that help me fund my retirement account. Like cut the vibration, cut the noise, cut the heat, cut the dust. Like let's, let's agree as a society industry first, but as a society to, to raise up the worker again, it's time. Yeah, no, I, and so I, I opened my law firm this past June after being an employee, you know, so employee to business owner type of thing. And it's the, uh, uh, you know, there's, you never know what you expect when you're getting into that type of thing, when you make that shift. And I, one thing that really surprised me was the, the sense of responsibility and ownership. And I don't think it's necessarily like a default setting for most people, but, but I think it gets paid back for sure. You know, I think... Um, I, used to, I used to be a teacher, and you know that there's plenty of studies out there what helps make people uh, you know learn and all that in school. But you know, food scarcity, for example, when kids aren't having to be hungry and don't have to worry about their next meal, they're they're going to be able to concentrate in 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 their their education more. Simple things like that. Housing scarcity. I think for employees, the same thing. If they know that um, even a simple thing like a mistake, honest mistake, they messed up, no doubt about it. They know that they're not going to be, you know, taken out to the ringer for it. It's going to be a learning. Don't want to happen twice by any means. But, uh, but just having a little bit of security and knowing the person's taking care of them mm-hmm. um, helps them embrace the issues that comes up with a new technology, a new battery rack that they never used before. Yep. And when things fail, they don't have the solution. They're not used to like, oh, we, you know, if you shake it a little bit upside down, I'll get the oil into the right thing. You know, yep. those solutions are all gone that they've learned over years in the industry. Um, but knowing that, hey, this, this person's looking out for me and, and can help and actually has my interests in mind, not just squeezing every bit of margin out right. of, of, of this project, um, I think goes a long way to um, well, having more productive employees, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, even though you can still be a capitalist and, and, and have all those things, you're, you're going you're gonna to be okay. You're going to make money because your employees will... You're gonna have a lot less no-shows. You're gonna have a lot less of all these things. Ideally, a lot less, yeah, a lot less uh, replacement. You know, because people will stay on longer if they mm-hmm. have everything else being equal. They'd probably rather work without the gas fumes in their face than they yes. they would they would otherwise, right? So um, it and helps you helps with, you there with that kind of stuff. And you're to be commended for taking this journey on your own. I mean, it, it is especially uh, comfortable 
right? To align in a corporate structure, to find a role you're good enough at, mm -hmm. and then to feel so emboldened by a mission or cause that you want to go out on your own. Like it, I have to commend you for that because you're you're doing good work, and there is a segment of the self-employed population that's probably doing the same thing. We're just out there working toward a cause that, yeah, first and foremost, benefits us financially, right? Mm -hmm. We have to exist in the structure of Western capitalist economies and pay our mortgages and mm -hmm. buy our food and things like that. Like, that is usually job one. But we can move forward in a thoughtful way to ply our craft in a way that really does help other people. And it's okay. We can have two truths at once. We can help ourselves and help somebody else. And that really is my mission. I yeah. really just want, I want to create a more, I would like to eliminate as much suffering as possible in my industry. Yeah. In general, it would be nice to see less in the world. But um, I'd love to tell a story about a guy I met at the trade show. I think yeah. that kind of fits pretty neatly yeah. in, into this conversation. Um, the trade show doesn't change very much. This week uh, was iLandscape, which is our uh, Illinois and Wisconsin industry trade mm -hmm. show. Typical vendors present, nurseries, growing trees and shrubs, growing perennial plants, um, people selling nursery supplies, landscaping tools, uh, heavy equipment, mowing equipment, and it doesn't really change much. I love going to the trade show because I get mm. to see my friends. Yeah, yeah. We do change much. Everybody's <laughs> yeah. getting older. This yeah. was the, the 10th anniversary of this particular trade show. Okay. And I'm walking the show floor and I see a salesperson from a vendor that I frequent a lot during the year. And we're catching up and he, he like kind of moves out of the way and like draws his hand downward to draw my attention to something. And there's a very familiar looking brand of lawnmower. It's a right standard. They're yellow. Okay. You've probably seen guys zipping around on them. They uh, stand up on the back. That's right. Okay. Yep. Um, they invented this segment. They invented the stand-on mower and refined it over many years. Super cool success story. Um, they don't look like they have enough parts to work. They look like hot rods. Okay. They're so cool. Guys just kind of fly around on them. But this one's got like this big box on it, and it's got like a what looks like a lidar setup mm -hmm. and depth sensing cameras. And I'm like, hey, what is this thing? And the salesman, he kind of beckons to this guy standing there. And I'm introduced to uh, CBQ, who is the founder of Greensy. And Greensy is a technology company that is trying to, that is not trying, it's very successfully developing equipment that can be added to existing commercial lines of mowing equipment to make them autonomous or remote controlled. Wow. And... I'm talking to him. We're having this really nice conversation, really uh, kind guy, easy to connect with, very excited about the product, showing me videos. And I, I said, you know, if you had to describe your mission, what would it be? And I'm standing there. I'm thinking he's going to say something about limiting human suffering. I know it. Yeah. And he says, yeah, I want to I I limit the amount of repetitive tasks a worker has to do during the day so we mm. can focus on other things. And it was just like, I just breathed a sigh of relief. I laughed and I said, yes, you're trying to limit human suffering. And yeah. it was just a really nice thing. And that was probably the most exciting and most innovative piece of equipment at the show this year. It was so nice to see. Yeah, well, I have a 
just a follow-up question. So you, you're in the industry, right? Mm-hmm. So to me, that's really neat. You know, to me, like, you know, you can retrofit these things. What does a market like that look like? If you, if you had not, you know, had this Husqvarna thing work out and you're kind of always tipping your toes and you're like, would you, what, would you just sign up this guy and he comes and retrofits all your existing gas-powered equipment? Or what, what is that? I'm so CBQ and his team had been trying to retrofit equipment without the help of manufacturers. Okay. And they were voiding warranties and, like, yeah, really they were yep. having a hard time finding a path with less resistance. And one day... This story was really funny to me. One day, they get uh, somebody fills out the contact form on their website, and it's Ed Wright, who is the son of the founder of Wright Manufacturing Company. Oh, he just filled out like the contact form that anybody can fill it. out on the website, wow. and said something about how he'd like to work with them. And uh, CBQ, as said, a business owner, I think that was like a prank. Like I think it, you went on my right? website and just like put that in there, right? right? Yeah, and. Uh, CBQ tells me he's got the the printout of the contact form like hanging on the I'm wall, sure. yeah. Because it it sounds like it really changed the way they do business. Oh, okay. Um, because by working directly with the manufacturer, they were able to get tooling and get things made custom. Oh yeah, that's for right, their yeah. their technology. Okay. So it's it's really cool. It's no, really cool. That's right. That's that's awesome. Um, and then on the area, you know, the repetitive task side, mm. you know, shoot, that's what I do with my, my paralegal, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't want her to type the same name 16 times, right? right. So I, you come up with systems, yep. and it helps her not have such a, a dull existence at her computer, right. having to type the same stupid name every single minute for mm-hmm. a whole eight hours. She does it once, and it's over, and, she move on, and then it makes our firm more productive. So yes. I think that's a wise thing. I, it's kind of like I don't, I don't know where this is from, but it's you know it's the abundance versus scarcity type of mindset. Like I think probably some business owners or managers in corporate settings are probably afraid of what are they going to do if they're not typing that name over and over again, or what are my guys going to do if they're if they're not doing that? You know, yes. Even if even from a genuine spot, well, they're going to have a shorter day. I'm you know they're going to their their money's on the line if I make them too efficient. You know, so there's of course there's ways to take care of that as a business owner too. Yes, but. Uh, but I, I've, but um, that's, I think the right mindset is yeah let's let's help them avoid repetitive tasks. Certainly, when you say human suffering, I wouldn't categorize my paralegal having to type this name over. <laughs> you know, course. it's the difference between the sore back at the end of the day and, <laughs> and my hard work at the end of the day, right? So to, to touch on a couple earlier points, but just to avoid the repetitive tasks, like nobody. You know, yeah. it's easy to be self-deprecating in that scenario, but like you've probably had to sit at a spreadsheet before you really knew how Excel worked. And you typed in a bunch of data manually. Yeah. Well, and my- you know it when you're done and, like, you've been sitting under a fluorescent light, breathing dry air. Yeah. And your eyes are crossed and cramped. And, yeah, that's – it's just a, – it's a different – maybe suffering is a little bit of an extravagance <laughs> yeah, for in that, in that yeah. setting. But, like, yeah. it's still it's still challenging to the human – Existence. Yeah. It's hard to have human suffering as I'm drinking my fresh bottled water and ordering DoorDash yes. just because I have a frustrating spreadsheet in front yes, of me. Exactly. You know, it's hard to use the word suffering right. for that. But um, but the uh, but interesting, the most most frustrating part of that is when you get to the end of the spreadsheet and there's one thing you can't solve, so you start Googling it. Yep. And then you find the ultimate solution that this would have saved you. Of course. You would have been done at 830. <laughs> right. You would have right. taken the whole day off. And, and with that in mind, you know, the concerns about automation, much like the 
concerns about people not wanting to work anymore, like you talked about earlier, mm -hmm. they've probably been around for a long time. Yeah. You know, not everything, our economy doesn't lend itself to bespoke works of craft and genius no. at every turn. That's just not how the world works. Yeah. And okay. so if I, if you, if you can automate a process, there's probably all kinds of software solutions for somebody like you who mm -hmm. needs to sift through a lot of data quickly or generate a lot of data quickly. Um, for somebody like me, you know, if I invest in a robot fleet, invest the time in leases for robots or invest the capital in a fleet of my own robots, it frees up my crew to do other work. I am not inventing this business model. Mm -hmm. You know, some people might have seen it on Shark Tank. Robin Autopilot, I mm -hmm. think, is the, okay. the one that probably would be the best known to most people. Um, there's a company in the northwest suburbs called Automated Outdoor Solutions. Mm -hmm. And we are trying to replicate their business model. Mm -hmm. They, with their sister company, Langton Group, have converted a large percentage of their commercial and residential did I think both their commercial and residential lawn mowing operations to robotic. Mm -hmm. And I have five units in the field. They have 275 units mm -hmm. in the field. And what that has done is they are able to get more work done with less infrastructure and less human capital. So they have fewer guys making more money doing less work. And so in the end, it creates an innovative business solution, but it also creates a positive work environment. Right. And there's so much work that in, at least in my field that people still need to do, mm -hmm. you know, a robot can't pull the weeds, a robot can't cut down a tree, a robot can't design a landscape yet. I would imagine it's probably not far off, but the thing that gets lost in that is the human connection, especially yes. with the professional practices. Um, you know, there's probably some like chat GPT yeah. enabled lawyer solution. Well, they'll be soon. Yeah. And I'm sure legal zooms all over. Yeah. Probably. And, but like sitting across the table from somebody connecting over mm -hmm. some mutual experience to help them redesign a space that they're going to use every day. Right. You can't do that with a piece of software. Right. No, I think you're, you're right to hit on that. Cause that's what I always say, well, you know, friends or family or whoever asked me, how's business? And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's lawyers out there, right? There's a lot of estate planners, a lot of people who can do some perspective looking tax planning for you. But I always say those aren't my competitors. It's, it's the AI that's the competitor, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, and from a business owner standpoint, you can be afraid of it and try and build the walls or you can kind of use it, utilize yeah. it. And same, same thing I'm sure in your industry, you know, there's probably a lot of guys out there that see automation, and those Husqvarna products as a as a threat to their business model because they have something that's successful. They're not really, they don't want to take a risk on something new. And if they're forced to, they're going to be pretty grumpy about it. It makes more work. And aren't we often resistant to making more work for ourselves, yeah. right? And even if that's a thought exercise, yeah. um, comfort is one hell of a drug. Mm -hmm. Why would I disrupt my careful existence in order to do something that might not benefit me immediately? Right. Right. And that having, I think I might just have a strong sense of delayed gratification because I spent $16,000 last year on five robots with installation. <laughs> the bank, the bank spent $16,000. <laughs> I've been, been dutifully paying the interest on that note. Um, but 
it's not going to pay right away. Mm-hmm. And like people see it, people get excited about it. People want to ask about it. One client lives on a pretty busy uh, North South street in his neighborhood in Naperville. Mm-hmm. He's lived there for 30 years. And he said more people had stopped to talk to him in the three weeks since the robot went in than people had talked to him in 30 years. Yeah. So like it just generates a lot of excitement and it it's hard to take risks. It's hard to take chances. And I, it was not calculated. I do not want to want to make it sound like this was a very thoughtful, planned business decision. This was just something I thought would be fun, right. and it worked. It resonated, and more people are interested. We have, we hopefully have at least three more going in already to start the season. It's February third. Yeah. So it's great. Yeah. Oh, I love the word resonate there too, especially to tie it back to our first thing. You know, from a musical sense, you know, the reson- when you have resonance there, it's, you know, it's it's a powerful thing. Yes. And. Um, and I was, I'm actually updating some of my internal systems, surveys, client data collection stuff to make it more efficient and nicer looking on the front end. I showed it off to my wife the other day, and she's like, um, well, aren't you afraid because they lose that personal connection if you're setting out these automated you know, surveys and things to clients? And I was, and you know, three years after implementing it for the first time, you know, I realized people appreciate the use of it as long as the personal connection is still available. I still answer my phone. Mm-hmm. I still respond to emails. So it's just a way to make their life easier. And yes. it, it makes mine too. Um, and, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, we want to do this better. And the first people you brought up was not your business or bottom line. It was, just, or your clients, it was your, your employees, make it better for them. And I think that's, that's the mindset, you know, who am I making this better for? And then obviously there's rewards to reap from that as well. But um, I work for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's it's, really what it comes yeah. down to is like, they, they work for my clients. I work for them. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that mindset. It's a, it's a really, um, really good way to look at things. So transitioning here, um, I don't even know what time, how long we've been doing it. These, <laughs> last time there was a clock up there. It's not there, but well, we it's be for the best that we'll we be wouldn't have had this nice flow yeah, exactly. conversation. If it so I always do, I do a three peat, but when we talked about what we want to talk about, we're going to change it to a four peat here. Oh boy. And maybe if it goes well, maybe it'll be, you'll be like, talk about innovation. <laughs> you'll, you'll be able to stake your flag here. It, was, it used to be a three peat. Now he's doing a four peat. That's thanks <laughs> to me. So uh, we'll do a four peat, four questions. Three have asked everybody else. Four, we'll start with you. So first one, uh, a favorite book to recommend to friends. Oh, books are so subjective. Yeah. Right? And when I thought about this question, I thought, what is a book I would feel good reading over and over again? Okay. And the first one that comes to mind is Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. Okay. Have you read I was, that? I haven't read it. I can guess it's subject matter. Right? A narrative yeah. of the story of the life of the Buddha. Yeah. And it's an exceptional book. And the lessons of asceticism and the lessons of truth and without, I am not a scholar in Buddhism mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a fun book to hold in your hand. It's small and it's unassuming and it's not very long. Hmm. And I would, I would encourage anybody to pick up Siddhartha. I'm going to start with you. I'll okay. give, next time I see you, I'll give you my copy. Okay. No, that's great. No, cause that sounds interesting. Cause you know, describing you know, I, I was a history teacher is what I taught. So when I hear a book like that, I'm picturing like a heavy kind of tome of academia thing. But when you describe it as fun to even hold, yeah. kind of the tactile side, yeah. that's interesting. It has, it's like it has secrets. Okay. It's this kind of like small, unassuming, little blue paperback book. That's what mine looks like. Oh. 
That cool. that and maybe on the road. On the road's always good. Okay. Everybody likes it. I, I haven't I haven't read that either. Yeah. Sorry. Brandon. I know. I've, I got two books for you. Jeez. <laughs> the books I've read recently are are all uh law related academics. So actually no, that's not true. Because of Jason, who produces with us, uh, I read uh, Go Giver. Uh, was, mo- was the most recent book I read. It's a, it's really interesting it's kind of a Instead of a go-getter, you go, you know, not a nice. the giving mindset and putting things out there, and then and then that's how you build the meaningful, Love it. you know, things in your life. So I really appreciate that book. But um, um, so the next question, uh, your go-to stand at the farmers market. Always going to be the guy making fresh bread or girl making fresh bread. Okay. Um, I like produce fine, but I, I don't always know what I'm looking for, or what's going to be great in what season. Uh, I'm always going to want like a nice, fresh, crusty baguette so I can make ham okay. bone Okay. like get some cornichons, some nice yeah. butter, some nice ham and Swiss cheese Okay. and eat, tell myself I'm going to to stretch it out and eat it over <laughs> yeah, a couple yeah. of days, yeah, but really do. probably just go through it in an afternoon. Yeah. 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 You put it, you put it back and you're like, and then an hour and a half later, you're like, oh, let's finish that thing. Yeah. Off. Always the bright. So that's similar to mine. We'd both be at the same booth. I would go with the fresh pretzel rolls at that same booth. God, I'm, I'm, I'm a, what is it about a pretzel roll? Yeah, especially if it's warm or whatever. The restaurants that bring them out is kind of the thing. Like, uh-huh. so those are the you, first you, ones you grab. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm like, can I get like five? Can we what do is it? what is your favorite thing to put on your pretzel roll? Um, I haven't gotten too adventurous. You know, you can't go especially if it's warm. You know, it's nice little butter would be good. Yes, but I, I'd love now that you mention it and get my imagination going. A good like. Um, like a homemade jam or jelly, or maybe Ooh. a raspberry or something like that. Nice. Probably wouldn't be too bad. Um, um, yeah, I think I, I think if I had to adventure, perfect. That'd be that. What about? I mean, do you have something in mind? A fr- on a pretzel roll? Yeah, God. burger. Oh, you do? A, yeah, yeah, I like burgers and a pretzel. Yeah, burgers burger, and a pretzel roll. Classic. Always worth whatever the markup the restaurants yes, charging. Always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so then, um, uh, the, ne- the next thing you know is the question of. Um, if you had to start over today, you got here and you just had to, you couldn't do your business, um, still had all the same skills and everything, but you just had to start new, had to do something else, what would that thing be? I would teach saxophone lessons. Saxophone lessons? Yes. Really? Are we talking alto sax or are we talking the whole gamut? Where are we? I was a saxophone performance major really? when I started college. Yes. Okay. And I have taught lessons a few times but i was i thought about this is such an such an interesting question like Mm -hmm. what would you do if you couldn't do your thing anymore i was like well i would do my other thing yeah that i left behind and there are just so many meaningful memories that exist in the instrument i was actually uh I have and play a baritone saxophone. Okay. That was my instrument. That was you. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. So I was a percussionist, a drummer, um, all through junior high and high school. And so we started in probably sixth grade, call it that. But the saxophones were always right in, right in front of us. Of course. So I could, I'm not only good friends with two out of the first three chairs, I could tell you exactly who the first three chairs yeah. were for the saxophones. So percussionists, we always have a... Interesting, because we're always go- uh, you know, goofing around with the saxophones, <laughs> messing with each other, all that stuff. But, of course. Uh, no, that, that's interesting. Um, what was your instrument in the in the percussion section? Um, Favorite, because kind of I know you guys rotated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, shoot, you know, especially if you're talking like the 
the band side of things, the you know the orchestra or wind ensemble type of thing. You know, there's always pride in like the snare drum and all that kind of stuff. Of course, so you know, prestigious. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like the, you know, Lucas on snare drum, especially in a high school junior high setting, yes. right? But that you know, I never really got a lot of joy out of that. Um, I really liked marching band. Um, uh, I played the the tom toms, the quads, by the time I was a senior. But I actually yes. enjoyed the the marching band. Um, bass drum when I was when okay. I was underclassman that was more fun and then in the on the band side um, and uh, had an interesting relationship with my band instructor kind of touch and go um, so <laughs> I hit my senior year I was on cymbals for everything okay. but I took it I ran with it like I had those things like I, I knew had exactly how to in. strike and that's the compliment he gave at the you know, little awards night at the yes, end of the year yes. he's like he, he plays the best symbols I've seen high school play that's and I, I, I think he me- I think he meant it passive aggressively <laughs> if I can go to my cynicals Maybe. out of my brain yeah. I think he meant that as the final thing but I'm like you know hey thanks because I, I, I want to take the, there's something cool about the symbols and it's um, you can put a, it's one of the things you can put a little bit of work in and get a lot of result. Yeah. So maybe that's what maybe that's why I like it. Yeah. It can either be very refined or it can be very Looney Tunes. Yeah. 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 And that music that that thread really runs through my life. I mean, as recently as uh, coffee date at the trade show mm-hmm. with uh, my friend Eric. Eric is a, a landscape architect. He's yeah. very talented at what he does. He's a very talented manager and designer, and he is the lead singer of a 90s cover band. And oh. they slay. They're so good. And my friend Mallory, uh, another landscape designer, keyboard percussionist. Oh. It's something we just learned about each other like a week ago. And it's just a, it changes the way you interact and see the world. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, a lot of where I go with the 90s cover band. But Next episode. Yeah, yeah, we, episode 3B. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Um, so then the final one, the one that we talked, I mentioned to you, uh, and you're like, oh, we got to add that in. So I'm like, okay, we'll add it in. So you're at the pearly gates, and you get five minutes to go back, and anything you can just view, but you can't interact. You just can sit and watch something for five minutes. What, what would you watch? We talked about this one quite a bit last night. Um, and my companion, I don't remember what her answer was. I regret that. <laughs> I have to ask her about it again. I think she might be listening to this. But um, to go back and see my friends and I, and it was hard to pick a time period. And I settled on high school, but to see us all making music together. Okay. Because we went a lot of really interesting places. And the pinnacle of which was the time uh, my senior year of high school, um, junior and senior year of high school, I got to do it back to back. And we went and we performed at Lincoln Center mm-hmm. in New York City. Oh, cool. And we, we submitted entries to and were accepted mm-hmm. to and performed at a, a, a festival, essentially Ellington Jazz Festival. Um, and we were guests of the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra. And just like the, the feeling of like the stage lights in your tuxedo, like doing something with like 15 of your good friends. Mm-hmm. Like that's pretty cool. That doesn't always exist ever again, right? In any other setting. Yeah, and, and certainly at those times you don't appreciate like the passing moment that it is. Like, you know, I don't know anything about any of it, but you know, the fifteen people just all being in the same room again locked. with the same kind of energy again, locked in, is probably one probably, probably once in a lifetime type of thing. One body, yeah, like yep. just locked in together, doing the thing they know best how to do. And that feeling is unforgettable. It has never left me. 
well, how about this then as a follow-up, impromptu follow-up to that? So Please. not like you now sit there, but you can like <laughs> ESP transmit to yourself in that situation like a thought. Would it be like a, hey, man, appreciate for this for what it is? Or what, what would you... He doesn't kind of say a man theoretical thing that comes into his head. You know, one thing I I really struggle with is the question, and this is not what you asked me, but I feel yeah. the need to preface it while I come up with a better answer. Whenever somebody says, like, if you could go back to yourself at any age and give yourself yeah. advice, what would it be? Yeah. Like, none. My head would explode. Yeah. Like, I, I have the lived experience, the rich tapestry of life of a 39-year-old man. What am I going to go back and tell myself at 17 that's not going to totally ruin my life? <laughs> like, yeah. and alter the trajectory in a way that could just totally disrupt everything that yeah. could possibly happen. Yeah. And uh, it, it would probably just be, you are here. Yeah, that's good. That would be it. Yeah. yeah right. Be here. Like, yeah. be here now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. No, instead of... Now, I know who thought of this episode because, well, frankly, and I'm not going to share it because I could. When you were describing your five minutes, I, for the first time, oddly enough, really thought about mine, and I wouldn't be able to get through it. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to get through it, so I'm not going to right here. Another, another, episode yeah, another episode with more tissues episode. around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like we need like the Bar- Barbara Walters like glow now. You oh know? my god, <laughs> you yes, know, like dude. that type of thing. Absolutely. Um, so, but but <laughs> thank you, Matt, so much for joining us. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. Um, we'll we'll be back every month um, with our next episodes. Matt, social media. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at at Matt underscore Dingledine on Instagram. And uh, at Dingledine on Inst- and LinkedIn. Okay, cool. And uh, again, thank you for all tuning in. This has been Everyday Experts. Be kind to each other. Thanks.